Hi, I'm Graham Mack. Welcome to the Pod 20. And this week, meet the American radio presenter who ended up as part of a breakfast show in New Zealand. What's it like for a husband and wife to do voiceovers together? Find out from the wife. And I'll ask the question that you're too afraid to ask. Is podcasting popular because commercial radio is so crap? The Pod 20 is heard on podcast radio on DAB in London, the home counties, Manchester, Birmingham and Glasgow, on demand in the USA at talkers.com, around the world on multiple platforms and as a podcast itself. Into the chart now and at number 20, Behind the Bastards, the podcast about the worst humans in history. 19. My Therapist Ghosted Me, Vogue Williams and Joanne McNally's weekly chat with 100% honesty guaranteed. 18. Golden Guest Talk Tottenham. The inside track on everything happening at Spurs. 17. Fake Doctors, Real Friends with Zach and Donald. Scrubs co-stars and real-life best friends, Zach Braff and Donald Faison's weekly comedy podcast. 15. Tales from the Tannoy with Eleanor Hamilton. Eleanor interviews voice actors. Eleanor, you're one of the best-known voiceover artists in the UK and you started off working with your late husband, Phil Sayer, who's the voice of Mind the Gap. Must have been fun working together. Yeah, I mean, and sometimes you'll get some really, really good scripts that are so imaginative and you're like, this is this is amazing. I'm so glad to be able to put to put my voice onto this. Um, and, uh, and and the best ads, actually, are the ones where you, you're not using your own voice. You know, you're kind of creating a character or something. But there was also an awful lot of, hmm, what's that number again? I'll just get a pen. <laughs> you know? And they've got free parking. Yeah, and easy terms. And fancy for the kids. <laughs> just over the road from Asda. <laughs> <laughs> what's next for you, Emma, uh, um, uh, Eleanor? Emma? What's, I nearly <laughs> I got Hamilton my... and Eleanor. I got them combined. Then that was uh, That's all right. Uh, yeah, you can call me whatever you like. I don't know. I, I'm I'm going to. I've got another episode of the podcast coming out um, any day now. When Carl uh, Spenson, my producer, is uh, has finished making it beautiful because I do all the the chopping and the interviews and stuff. And then I send it to Carl and he puts the polish on and music and just tidies it up and um, makes it sound amazing. Um, and then I think I'm going to try and take a bit of a break because it takes up so much of my life. <laughs> so I'm going to have a few weeks off, um, get some more interviews in the bag and then release them. I, I think what, what I've learned is that by kind of setting myself a really hectic schedule, as, as somebody that's doing this as a almost a hobby it's more than a hobby but it's also um you know i'm not i'm not doing it for a living we don't have a sponsor um so i'm i'm kind of doing it for fun it's a labor of love um but the labor sometimes takes so long that i i find that i'm taking my eye off the ball with other things so um i'm i'm going to have uh, i'm going to spend a bit of time promoting the existing episodes because we've got what you know probably 20 or 30 episodes out already two seasons isn't um, it already yeah yeah. And I think that there's so much amazing content in there that it's it's a question of getting it out and getting it heard by by people. I'm, I'm so busy making new episodes. I've not got time to tell people about the ones that are already out there. And the good thing about them is that they have stories that will last. Some of them are kind of COVID specific, but people will remember COVID for so long that the, the episodes will remain relevant. There isn't a single episode, I don't think, that isn't going to be relevant in five years from now. Um 
Um, and it was interesting, I was speaking to somebody, um, a, a podcasting guy recently, who said, uh, well, you know, I, I watch reruns of Frasier, but I never watch reruns of the news. So yeah. he kind of said, it made, made me feel quite good about the fact that you, you are okay to take a break. You know, you don't have to keep on. So for me, it's really important to keep making really good quality episodes and 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 keep the love in them rather than kind of churning them out. And um, And I'd rather sort of make sure that they're 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 beautifully produced and there's there's fewer of them but they're they're good oh they're good all right eleanor tales from the tannoy with eleanor hamilton is at number 15 this week on the pod 20 14 on purpose with jay shetty fascinating conversations with the most insightful people in the world 13 alan carr's life's a beach Alan gives Judith Chalmers and Michael Palin a run for their money as he invites a famous guest to discuss their favourite places in the world. His latest guest is David Williams. At 12, Monday Morning Podcast, Bill Burr rants about relationships, sports and the Illuminati. 11, Today in Focus, from The Guardian. At number 10, Two Trillion Thoughts, from the syndicated American radio personality Griff. Griff, I met you at a radio convention in the US called Morning Show Boot Camp, and a few years ago, I was listening online to a radio station in New Zealand called The Edge. I was listening to The Breakfast Show, hosted by JJ and Dom, and I heard you on their show. How did that happen? So we were in Nashville Morning Show Boot Camp, and JJ and them was there. And that might have been in April. And they was like, if you ever in New Zealand, let us know. So I think I got fired in August, <laughs> August 30th of that year. Uh, all the morning shows uh, around the country in our company were becoming syndicated by the same person. So, you know, the Miami, Atlanta, Detroit, D.C., New York, like everybody. Uh, so I went there. I went there in November. I went there in November of 98. I stayed for two weeks and I was on the radio Monday through Friday for two <laughs> weeks. I think by Wednesday, New Zealand had one comedy club, but it was around the corner from the station. By Wednesday, I was featuring at the comedy club. And then the next week, I was headlining. Then we flew to Christchurch to do a pop-up show in front of like 400 people. It was, uh, you know, that's one thing about me, man. I'm, I don't, I don't have no fear as far as meeting people. And if you tell me I can come over, I'm coming. Like you <laughs> don't tell me if you ever in Zanzibar, <laughs> I can get there. <laughs> But they I had you do it. They had you doing the hacker. They had you bumped you. Uh, did you bungee jump there too? Didn't you? That, I bungee jumped off a bridge. Yeah, off Auckland the, Harbor off bridge. The bridge. But then Dom was another radio thing they was doing. It was a uh, crash my pool party or something like that. Right. right. Basically, what Dom was doing was he was having 30, 40 listeners go to people who had pools that weren't home and we was just in their yard in until the police came or until the people came. <laughs> hey man. This is the first time we've been on the air together since 
2009. I had you on the breakfast show when I was up at TFM and Teesside. I had you on the phone. And it was, right. the, it was the day after Obama had been elected. That was a big deal to you. You were quite emotional that morning. Oh, man. It was because, you know, uh, back, we, we never saw it again. You talking about the 50 million people or the 40 million back then that, that was always told we could never be the president or, you know, that, that was something that wasn't for us, you know, uh, and to have my kids see that and for him to be the kind of man that he was just, uh, one of the classiest human beings, you know, ever. It, it was a big deal. It was a real big deal. Was it a bit of a come down when Trump got in then? Man, it's hard to define Trump to people that don't live in America, man. Like the dude, as a as a international performer and traveler, he took down the credit of America by about 70% in four years uh, where other continents no longer look to the U.S. to do things first and do because he destroyed our credibility um, around the world. And is and I just like to say he destroyed white folk. It wasn't black people that was doing that was white folk. Um, and it and it brought out a he brought out a real ugly side of America that had kind of been suppressed and he, he brought it up and we, you know, the last two, three years been hectic out here, man. It's, it's been real hectic for reals. How's Joe Biden doing so far then? I love Joe Biden because Joe Biden don't say nothing. (laughs) (laughs) And it's really weird when you're on a radio and you got a president that tweet 30 ignorant things every day with the misspellings and the wrong information. And here you go. You don't hear nothing from Joe Biden. And then his dog died. And then they passed Juneteenth as a federal holiday. And then he like he I love Joe Biden. He knows that you as a you're not supposed to be telling everybody what we're doing. You're not supposed to be, uh, you know, threatening the enemies and saying, well, if y'all nuke us, we gonna nuke like you supposed to shut up. I love that he just shutting up and being the president. You're gonna be the president one day, Griff? Never. I Why got not? too much baggage. I think you'd be a good president. I think I would be too, but when they start pulling up, uh, did you say this at a morning show boot camp? Did you did you like that's gonna kill me? That's gonna it don't even matter if I got the money, it's gonna be all my quotes. It's gonna be the things I forget, but people like you remember and say, one time I was with him and he said, dot dot dot. Two trillion thoughts with Griff is at number ten this week on the pod twenty. Nine, Hidden Brain. Shankar Vedantam uses science and storytelling to reveal the unconscious patterns that drive human behaviour. Number eight, Revisionist History. Malcolm Gladwell's journey through the overlooked and misunderstood. Seven, Freakonomics Radio. Discover the hidden side of everything with Stephen J. Dubner, co-author of the Freakonomics books. Number six, Blank Podcast with Giles Paley Phillips and Jim Daly. Guys, commercial radio has become so formulaic and boring because the idiots running it have sucked all the fun and personality out. Has this helped podcasters? 
Charles, be careful. It's a loaded question. <laughs> <laughs> it, it clearly comes from a deep-seated bitterness. Yeah. I just want to say, any radio well, producers out there, you're not idiots. I'm available. <laughs> <laughs> it's um, it is interesting because I mean, we can see like with the phenomenon of BBC Sounds and how they've obviously like the BBC have pumped an awful lot of investment into podcasts. Mm. But there is obviously a, a, a move over to long form. Um, and not just long form and drama and, you know, uh, and other types of, you know, it's not just kind of interview style podcast. There's all sorts of other things going on. Um, I think the, the medium's growing exponentially and it's, a, there's a bit of a bit of a gold rush on at the moment, I was saying, cause people are, I think people are turning off, you know, the way we listen to music as well. I mean, you know, you, you don't have to listen to, you know, you don't have to listen to, um, radio to get like the latest kind of sounds or anything you just you just put on spotify you get the latest stuff and you can make your own playlists and whatever so you know if, and i think talk radio i think talk radio has become more popular i mean i think like things like stations like radio five live for example are very yeah. popular i mean i, I will listen and to LBC, that and, and, and LBC, talk radio and, talk and radio now time kind of yeah yeah. yeah, so that that is, I guess, in, indicative again that you know, talk radio. People do want to hear people talking. They do want to hear uh, like minute by minute kind of news feeds and stuff, which those kind of stations do, or opinion kind of stuff. You know, we're into football, so you know, like the the foot, the, you know, the like talk sport, and you get um, Radio Five Live with six oh six things like that. People where where people can ring in and talk. So I think all those things. So I, I yeah, I mean, I think there is, I think there has been a move away in broadcasting. Um, like to but it's helped podcasting. I think I think it has helped podcasting. I do. I think, pe- I, I, but I think what what's great about podcasting is that you can find whatever you kind of want. Um, you know, you just search. You can search a subject, and you'll probably get something that you want on it. So, as a resource now, as well, you know, if you're wanting to find out stuff about a particular subject, you can you can look it up. So, it's got all these functions. You know, it's entertainment, but it's also could be I, I think it's the evolution of the way if, if you lump radio and podcasting in together and say they're the same thing and many people would disagree that they are but if they're, they're audio entertainment if you look back at say when commercial radio started in Britain in the 70s you'd have a full service commercial station I grew up in the northwest and Radio City in Liverpool used to have a classical music show on a Sunday night and another discussion show I forget what night it was recorded in a pub called It's Your Shout as well as like playing top 40 music during the day and whatever but so I think when you first had commercial radio in the UK a lot of it was full service it was it it's it covered everything you know buy swap and sell and lost dogs and and everything from chart shows everything and then along came like the 80s and then they started splitting them into formats. So if you liked uh, oldies, you could listen to oldies on the oldies station or the gold station or whatever it was. And you could listen to Top 40 on the FM station. And then you had rock stations like Planet Rock. Once DAB came in the 90s, you had, mm-hmm. you know planet rock and then of course you have talk stations for if you wanted to listen to talk so instead of having one station that did everything you chose which station to listen to and i think that podcasting if you lump it in with streaming music streaming has now taken that to the the final or the phase of evolution where we are now which is you you choose do i want talk or music and if you want music you go for streaming and you pick the music you like and if you want talk you can go to a podcast or a talk station if that's what you want because you you want live 
And then you, you, it's, it's all now gone down to the consumer now just picks and chooses. But unfortunately, yeah. a lot of commercial radio stations haven't worked that out yet. Right. Haven't, and don't know how to compete. They're either trying, they're just, a lot of them just trying to be an alternative to a, a streaming service, which they'll never be because you're not picking the music. And there's well, yeah. commercials. You see, that with, you see that with TV as well. You know, TV has changed now. It used to be a few channels that would offer everything. Now it's loads of channels that offer that one thing. And mm, now it's streaming. Exactly. So again, you, you get to pick and choose. You're right. It's coming down to the consumer. But I think, uh, and I'm not an expert on radio at all, although I did host a show when we had a local radio station, Chilton FM, around the corner. It's not far from um, me, actually, Chilton, yeah. Really? Oh, okay, yeah. We were based in Cheshire, the radio, uh, the football club, the radio station. A lot of, turns out it's a lot of buttons on the uh, <laughs> that you got to press, which is very confusing. I many times during uh, my show thought I'd switched off to the music and hadn't, and then just you could hear me chatting to the producer. So um, it was very much uh, baptism. But by but there's a classic example of them not knowing when that happens. If you've ever heard that, how compelling is that? When the <laughs> when when the presenters left the mic on, yeah. yet it, the boss would chew you out for it. No, yeah. actually. The only goal is to get listeners. And if this works, I would True. do it. I, I didn't, but I would think about doing it deliberately because, you know, no one's going to turn yeah. it off. Yeah, yeah. It's upside down. That's why they're idiots. Actually, actually that's very good. <laughs> but actually, that leads me on to my next point, actually, because, um, and I'd imagine it's, just, it's the same in radio, but my experience is more with uh, written and, and, and online press, is that the field gets so saturated that people then have to shout loudest uh, and of course, they're driven by advertising. So you have to do the thing that is the loudest to get the advertising, but the loudest to get attention. And it becomes clickbaity. So it becomes a, a, away from quality content and quality broadcasting and quality written stuff. It comes towards trying to get attention. And that's what happens when, you know, the market gets saturated. And, and, and then obviously people are not into that. People aren't into clickbait stuff. So now, now they're subscribing to The Times or subscribing to The Athletic. And again, they're choosing things that is more down towards what they want rather than what they're being shouted at that's certainly what i've seen online i wonder if that's the same with radio and with tv and people are just don't want to be shouted at anymore well there's no shouting in blank podcast with giles paley phillips and jim daly which is at number six this week on the pod 20 five conan o'brien needs a friend after 25 years at the late night desk conan has never made a real and lasting friendship with any of his celebrity guests so he started a podcast to fix that. Number four, Off Menu with Ed Gamble and James Acaster. Ed and James invite special guests into their magical restaurant to choose their favourite starter, main course, side dish, dessert and drink. Their latest guest is the comedian, writer and film director, Simon Amstel. Number three, Real Dictators. The podcast series hosted by Paul McGann that explores the hidden lives of history's tyrants. The latest episode is Colonel Gaddafi Part 8, Arab Spring, Gaddafi's End. Number 2, Crime Junkie. If you can never get enough true crime, congratulations, you found your people. And at number 1, for the third week in a row... Parenting Hell with Rob Beckett and Josh Widdicombe. I've been doing some f really fun parenting with the girls. I took yeah. them to Pizza Express and oh, it, well, this is funny. Yeah, they they have hummus true. with the little, you know, yeah, the, oh, bits, yeah. the hummus. Not my right. first ride, yeah. <laughs> Not your first P.E. Um, no, it doesn't really work, does it, with Pizza Express? You just think of P.E., don't you? Yeah. Chill, it? Anyway, 
they brought out the garlic butter instead of the hummus for the kids oh. and their dough balls. Oh. And my little one got a spoon. I didn't look, I didn't see. She literally spooned in a whole massive <laughs> teaspoon full of garlic butter. Right. And she screamed like she'd been attacked. And everyone looked around. And then she went, tastes like poison. <laughs> Oh, so Amazing. funny. And then, but then we were outside and it started raining. So then I was trying to move. It was just me with the two kids. Move me, two kids, and like pizza plates inside. And, and then the little one was adamant she wanted to carry her cup of juice. Obviously spilled it all over her. Yeah. Dropped it on the floor, all went up her, went over another bloke, sat next to us. And in the end, I had to take her skirt off. So she just sat <laughs> in Pizza Express eating a brownie in her knickers and a T-shirt. <laughs> That's it for episode 67 of the Pod 20. And thanks to this week's guest pod stars, Eleanor Hamilton, Griff, Giles Paley-Phillips, Jim Daly, Rob Beckett, and Josh Widdicombe. Next week, my special guest is Dom Chambers from the In Radio podcast. Dom, you've worked in most radio sectors over a career spanning 25 years. You've chaired the Community Media Association and the Radio Academy's affiliate members group. You grew up in Hampshire, you went to school in Yorkshire, you also know Liverpool and Manchester pretty well. With such a wide range of experience, you ever thought about going into politics? I was driven from a young age to do some kind of public service. And it takes a while. You know, I was driven, there was nothing particularly saintly about this, it's, um, uh, or even worthy. I was just driven by a need to help people. And, and that emerges, I'm just writing a book about this at the moment, and that emerges right from you know, age six, when I got a prize for helpfulness. I think they'd given all the prizes out and they were just wondering what was left for me. And I used to, I used to help the dinner ladies bring the, um, you know, the pudding out. And one terrible day, this huge calamity happened, where I dropped the entire school's dessert. And uh, I was, my services were less called upon thereafter, but, but they had awarded me my book for, uh, for helpfulness. I, I certainly considered uh, politics. But you know what? I couldn't think of what party to join. Yeah. Because, I mean, there's two kinds of people. They're, they're, you get p- politicians who deeply and passionately believe in the party creeds and codes, and I, I couldn't claim to be that. And then you get those who are driven by public service, and then they'll find the most appropriate party for them. But there's no way I could have considered becoming a conservative in the, in the Thatcher years. I actually quite like John Major, but I'd, I'd sort of fallen out of love with the Tories by then, uh, as, in, as indeed had the country. And, uh, and like everybody, I think I was really willing to give New Labour a chance in, in 97. But they kind of lost me when they started sort of gerrymandering the, the London mayoral elections and, uh, and that kind of thing. The, the war in Iraq didn't help either, did it? Uh, you know, one you know, million an, an illegal war out yeah. of the streets. <laughs> one million people. How many times in the history of Britain can you say one million people went out onto the streets to say, actually – government. This is not a good idea. And that government, which was largely sitting on a sofa in the corner of a kitchen, said, we're going to ignore you. And I think that was an enormous error. And it damaged the reputation of that prime minister. The thing for me is like, you know, all Tony Blair has to say now, and he still doesn't say it, is that, look, at the time, with the information I had that said Saddam Hussein had weapons of mass destruction, I had no reason 
to not believe that information. It was coming from military intelligence. It was a very credible source. It was multiple sources. At the time, I believed that was what was going on. So the decision to go in there and sort him out was right. But as it turns out, the information was duff. It was false. I don't know why it was false. And the, the whole thing was a huge mistake based on bad information. All he has to say is that, and I think most people would actually sympathize with him and would go, well, geez, if I was in that position and presented with that information, I probably would have been forced into the same decision. But he's still not saying that. He's still trying to ins somehow turn an, an illegal war into something just. I don't understand politicians. They seem to have like no shame. It's like that bit missing where they can't just hold their hands up and go, Woof, got that one wrong. They doesn't don't seem to. No, it? but it does with minor things, but not something as big as that that affected no. so many people, you know. And it's, the consequences remain, you know. Hmm. And, and I think we can look at that with a great deal, um, a large amounts of sympathy and empathy because, uh, you know, broadening it out into to society in COVID and post COVID, so many challenges are being exposed uh, around mental health and isolation and uh, and lack of opportunities which i think i think you know people who, who go through war I mean, i'm sure you have as well i've interviewed lots of people uh, who've uh, been in theaters of conflict and, and it's amazing how they will block things out and firstly they're quite reluctant to share a lot of those experiences with us civilians they, they tend to that's why army reunions and stuff do really well because they can share with their fellow comrades, even if they didn't serve together, they will understand the milieu of what they're talking about. Uh, but, uh, you know, in some interviews, people have been generous enough to really open up. And it's at that point you understand how important music is to people uh, in those areas, because music is such a high art form and emotive art form. It can really displace you. And if you're in a place where you'd rather be displaced from it, then music is the thing that transports you. And uh, so I've had many, I've interviewed lots of people in that war. And uh, the original Gulf War, well, actually, I would say the original Gulf War was, was the Iran-Iraq War of the, of the 80s. But, you know, what we now know is Gulf War One, Schwarzkopf and all that. Mm -hmm. Major was prime minister. But that, that was a war with limited objectives about liberating an invaded country, whereas the, the second one was really not apparent. And if it was to make it a, a secure world by removing this ghastly um, regime of Saddam Hussein, well, it, it, it patently did not succeed in doing that. So anyway, I managed to get through all my life without really being that tempted to go down the, the route of, of politicians. I know many people in public life, both in Westminster, but also in local councils. And largely, I really admire them. And I think they take a lot of flack for actually doing some really good stuff. And there's some quite large levels of misunderstandings uh, that, that goes on. But that never tempted me. And, and I think it was, looking back in it, always inevitable that I would end up working uh, in the third sector, in the charitable sector. And, uh, and my media career has very much kind of gone down that route. So any radio skills I've sort of managed to muster over the last 30 years is very much towards serving a charitable vision. Well, we'll find out more about that next week. Dom Chambers, from the In Radio podcast, my special guest on the Pod 20. In the meantime, you can watch video chats with all of my guests, including Dom Chambers, on YouTube and subscribe to my YouTube channel. And what will happen on the podcast radio chart next week? Will Rob Beckett and Josh Widdicombe be at the top for a fourth week?
Will your favourite podcast be at number one? Find out with me, Graham Mack, and influence the chart. Make a recommendation at thepodcastradio.co.uk. On the morning of August 1st, 1966, shots ring out from the observation deck of the clock tower on the University of Texas campus. It marks the infamous beginning of the modern era of mass shootings in America. You're listening to Stop the Killing podcast. Join us as we take you behind the crime scene tape to explain global mass shootings and mass attacks. I'm Sarah Ferris, but more importantly, this is Catherine Schweit, the former head of the FBI's active shooter program. I spent five years as the FBI's top executive looking for answers to the mass shooting crisis. I've been at the shooting scenes. I've traced heroic acts of bravery. And I've sat silently and listened to the heart-wrenching stories from survivors. Amongst this horror, there is hope. We all hold the key to stop the killing. You just need to know how to unlock the door. Download Stop the Killing and be part of the solution. Search Stop the Killing on Apple, Spotify and all the usual suspects.